Welcome to the Modern Independent, where we are on a mission to assist modern independent workers in accelerating their growth, both personally and professionally. Every year, our parent community, Indie Collective, offers two 10-week accelerator programs known as the Launchpad. In these programs, cohorts of around 80 independent consultants and coaches, just like you, gain access to an expert-led curriculum, then work together to set bigger visions and goals for their business and lives. If you're interested in learning more about our 10-week Launchpad cohorts, go to www.indiecollective.co, where you can learn about the program, hear members speak about their experiences, and apply for the next cohort. We accept applications on a rolling basis, and as a podcast listener, you'll receive priority when applying for an interview, as well as a limited-time $500 friends and family discount. Just reference the podcast in your application. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Modern Independent. I'm Jan Almasy, and you are listening to The Launchpad. Today, we are here with Katie Gotti, a.k.a. Money with Katie. And true to the seasons of this episode specifically, she is somebody that has actively engaged in the Indie Collective curriculum and has found amazing results and also prior to finding us in Indie Collective has started to build the momentum of something truly amazing. And I'm super excited to have a conversation with her today centered around her journey through entrepreneurship and personal finance. So um, I'm just going to read through a quick little introduction and then we'll bring Katie onto the show and you guys can meet her. So Katie is a quick learner, hard worker, and strong writer with a passion for making the complex simple and a track record of turning data-driven insights into compelling human-centered content. She's a personal finance blogger and podcaster on a mission to get regular people excited about money without dumbing down the concepts. She runs Money with Katie, where she writes and records about spending habits, financial psychology, tax-optimized investing, and many more concepts. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jan. I'm so excited to be here. And also, may I just say, you have a beautiful podcast voice. <laughs> well, thank it's you. kind of like I, that, hope... like you have a face for audio, except complimentary. You have a voice for audio. I was going to say, that's like the very, that's the nicer way of saying that I should just stay, <laughs> you know, behind or like off of camera. Absolutely. Not. Um, <laughs> um, well, that that's good because I mean, over the, that means that I'm not driving my listeners crazy over the last like 70 something episodes, 80 something episodes that I've released into the world. Um, but okay. So like, like I just kind of said, right. Like I just gave this beautiful kind of platform, um, for you to kind of springboard off of talk to me uh, right before the cameras, uh, and the, and the microphones came on. Um, we, we, that first quote that I read about you was actually from your LinkedIn profile, mm -hmm. right? So, and, and you mentioned that that line, um, actually achieves something for you in life. And, and why don't we talk a little bit about what that is, and then we can kind of use that story to, to kind of walk us through how you ended up with money with Katie and, you know, entering everything else. But why don't, why don't we start there? How did that quote affect your life? Sure. So <laughs> I was kind of being flip when I said that that line got me a job at Facebook, but it is kind of true, uh, back in October. So I don't know, three, four months ago, I uh, started working at Facebook now Meta, and it's been a great experience. And I think that that you know, when I spoke with the recruiter about how they found me because I hadn't applied for a job there, I just received an email um, from a recruiter. They told me, oh, "Well, we found your LinkedIn. We and we liked kind of the way that you described yourself. We were interested in your previous experience." 
And so I, I brought that up in our kind of pre-show chit chat because I actually have just quit that job. I've only been there for a few months, but my last day is tomorrow, incidentally, um, because I am going to be doing Money with Katie full time now, which is super exciting. I, I started Money with Katie back in April of 2020, and it was it was kind of just on a whim. I think everybody can relate to that period of the pandemic where you're kind of just sitting around stewing in your own anxiety. It's like we're three weeks into this thing and no one has any sense for how big and disruptive it's going to be to our lives. But at this point, we were all kind of in that like quarantine shelter in place, you know, Lysol spray, the Amazon boxes that are coming to your door vibe. No one knows anything about coronavirus at this point. And um, yeah, I, I was working full time in an office at that point at Southwest Airlines. So I was accustomed to working from nine to five every day. And I was a fitness instructor. So I was teaching classes sometimes before and after work in some cases. And so really my life around me as I knew it kind of came to a screeching halt. And I had always had this interest in personal finance and, and professionally was a writer already. And so I kind of merged the two. I remember looking up like whether or not the URL money with Katie was taken and I was shocked that it wasn't. So I was like, I'm just going to buy it and like figure it out later. But it wasn't until a couple months later when I really started consistently kind of diving into it and pouring into it with the level of, you know, discipline and, and strategy beyond just, hey, I want to write about personal finance. Let me like snag this domain and occasionally put something up there for the seven people that, you know, read it. My next door neighbor and my aunt and, you know, whoever else is happens to catch hmm. the Facebook post about it when I announce that I posted a blog. So I think, for, you know, for everybody that, you, that is listening, you know, I feel like I could definitely relate to having that one of those moments where you're just kind of like, okay, the pandemic is happening and I'm stewing, like you said, I'm stewing in my own anxiety, right? And you you're starting to feel um, like there has to be something more, right? There has to be something beyond what the circumstances are, you know, projecting onto you right now. There's all of these different things um, that are going on in the world. And then, I mean, that's kind of very similar to, to the way that, that Apex kind of started because, you know, I remember sitting in quarantine. So prior to quarantine starting, <clears throat> we were strictly podcasting. You know, I'd only ever consulted with people on podcasting and maybe some social media here and there. And then um, I remember being, I was still an ICU nurse at the time. And so my parents are like 60 plus, my dad's got type two diabetes. And so like when all of this came out, I was like, well, I'm going to the hospital every day and I'm bringing this home. You know, like what do I, what could I do about that? My local university actually where I graduated from was nice enough to open up a dorm for me. So I'm like working 12s to 16s trapped in this dorm uh, on campus trying to like record the podcast figure out the business and everything and then speaking of on a whim right i was watching a documentary called pandemic and there was a um scientist on there named dr jacob glanville right he's the founder of a company called cenovax they came out with like a universal flu vaccine and a universal anti-venom and everything so i was like, this is really cool. I'm a nurse. I have a podcast. I'm going to reach out to this dude and see if I can interview him. Not only did I interview him, I interviewed him. And then all of a sudden, like all of his team members. And the next thing I know, we're like their PR partner 
you know, and it was just, it was insane how that single kind of moment of anxiety and like, what are we going to do next? How are we going to do this? And just like, I called it, uh, what did I, what did I say? I called it leaning into your intuition, right? It's like your intuition is telling you there's something there and you may not know what it is, but you just choose to lean into it and then see what happens. Did you have a similar experience? Well, it's my mind is blown that you just said that right now. Cause that was in my mind as you were telling that story of like, Oh, this single moment that became so formative in my head. I was like, yeah, it's like you have to lean into the intuitive impulse. And then you said leaning into the intuition. So you really read my mind, but yeah, that's, that's, 100% what I like really um, relied on in the first, I don't know, year of money with Katie, which, you know, April, 2020 to April, 2021 time period, the summer was when I really started to be like, oh, maybe this is actually a viable business and I should put some more structure and strategy in place. But for the longest time, so much of the, uh, success of it, I would say, was really driven by those intuitive impulses of like, oh, I don't know why I want to talk about this, but I just do. Or, you know, to your point, like you may not understand the form in the beginning of like what this idea that's trying to come through you is trying to be. But if you have a sense for the essence of what it is, it's like you almost Mm. have to just keep taking those little steps and and making that next best decision of like, okay, well, today right. I'm going to get the domain name. And then, okay, well, you know, I have this weird impulse to reach out to this person. So I'm just going to do it. And it's almost like trusting yourself enough to just action on those things without second guessing or like letting imposter syndrome kind of take the wheel. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, listener. Sorry to interrupt the vibes. I'll be out of your way in just a second. It's Jan, the head of community here at Indie Collective. Thanks for making it this far into our episode. Just a reminder that if you're connecting with this story, you can go to IndieCollective.co where you can learn about the program, hear members speak about their experiences, and apply for our next cohort. As a podcast listener, you'll receive priority when applying for an interview as well as a limited time $500 friends and family discount. All right, I'll get back out of your way. Right. Right. Well, I think, I think that's interesting because I've spent a lot of time thinking about how the hell did I end up here? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and, (laughs) and so, and so when you go through those types of processings, when things happen really quick like that, um, you know, being somebody that is really into trauma psychology, psychology in general, I work a lot with kids. I I talk to uh, children all the time because in my, in my clinical, setting i i i practice um working with ages under 17 mm-hmm. you know and and one thing that's really interesting about a way a child learns something right or the way that they um use their intuition to kind of navigate the world is to your point they don't actually mimic us mm-hmm. they they mimic the gist quote mm-hmm. unquote right so like say a child has a dual parent household right? And a mom and a dad. And you have a a son who has a positive relationship with the father. And I'm just setting the scene here so that we can actually understand everything, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a son that has a positive relationship with the father. Father consistently does something, right? And there's probably times where the child will like directly imitate the movements of the father, 
but the majority of the time they're not going to directly imitate it they're just going to try to replicate the task <laughs> right so they're not imitating otherwise they would be trying to mock the same type of steps you know they would do the same types of motions that's copying what they're trying to do is like i'm going to pretend to be the gist of a teacher or the gist of what my father's doing so Say dad consistently takes out trash and mom gives dad a kiss because he took out the trash. Now son may not know what it means to take out the trash, but he's like, I'm going to help mom pick up. Mm -hmm. Right? That's like just the essence. Yeah, essence. Totally. And that's what's really cool about when we're, when we feel those internal feelings, and you know, I'm not sure what your personal experience was, but for me, it's almost like um, like a moment that I can think of for sure is when I was getting out of the military and attempting to go into entrepreneurship. It's like my brain is telling me to go one way. My gut is telling me to go another direction. I have no idea why my gut is telling me to do these things mm-hmm. because like I've been setting myself up. Um, and for context, Katie, how old are you? 27. 27. Okay. And then I'm 26. So for everybody listening, just to kind of give you an idea where mm-hmm. we're at, you know, but it feels like sometimes you've been planning the majority of your life entering, you know, young adulthood and, and adulthood to be in a certain direction. And then when when that doesn't happen and your intuition starts to pull you in another direction, it almost causes even more anxiety up front because you're like, hold on, like, I didn't see this coming. What are you doing? Did you have any, an experience kind of similar in that kind of realm? What was it like when that intuition first started pulling you? Oh, absolutely. Well, so what's interesting, and I, I don't think I've ever, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but it's a great question. And I remember the first time in retrospect that I started seriously thinking, like, I think I would prefer to be an entrepreneur. Or like, I think there's something there. I remember I was in college and I went to Alabama, but I, you know, was from Cincinnati. So when I would drive back and forth from Tuscaloosa to home, it was like an eight hour drive. And I would always listen to podcasts. And there was one particular podcast that I found called Startup. And it was by Gimlet Media. And it was this very meta thing where it was a podcast about starting a media company. And so... Mm. I remember just being so enthralled with this idea of, of basically creating something out of nothing. And when you look at the behind the scenes of, I don't know what, what I really thought or how I really thought companies started, but there's this very adult and professional and competent, like, vibe to a capital C company. It's like, oh, it's incorporated. It must be very serious. And these people must really know what they're doing. And it must have this very historical past. And like listening to startup really showed me. And now Gimlet Media is like a big media company. So it, you know, to get to hear how they started, it was so interesting. But it kind of showed me like, oh, well, nobody really knows what they're doing. Like how fascinating (laughs) that it seems like, you know, this guy's a professional. I think he started on This American Life and he was, you know, trying to pitch Chris Saka and totally bombing and recording the conversation. And then Chris Saka was like, no, 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 that was terrible. Let me tell you how you should have just pitched me. So that kind of blend of like humility and not knowing what you're doing and like leaning into the fact that no one else knows what the hell they're doing. It was so captivating to me. But at the same time, I was still in college studying public relations, thinking that I wanted to go work for some big agency or big corporation and eventually did go on to work for several big corporations. 
but kind of throughout, even from the very early days of my full-time job, when I was ecstatic about the job, ecstatic about the paycheck, like by all accounts really liked what I was doing. It wasn't like I was, you know, miserable in corporate America. I kind of liked the game. I like liked the politics. I thought it was kind of fun and interesting, but I Mm. still had that Mm. feeling in my gut of like, for whatever reason, I just don't think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But to your point, that causes anxiety because you're like, I just, you know, went to high school and worked really hard to get a scholarship to a good college and finished college and worked really hard to get a good GPA and do all the right internships and check all the boxes and do all of the things in the correct order to land where I am now. So why do I still feel like something is amiss? And I, Mm. I always had that urge of like, I think I'm supposed to be doing something else. I think I'm supposed to be doing something on my own, but I did not know what that thing was like I I had no concept yet of what I was really supposed to be doing but the right. seed had been planted and so it was kind of I think ripe for what ended up happening which is like the second I had an idea that felt compelling to me I just kind of started doing it and I always tell people like you know whenever anyone comes to me and is like I want to start a blog what should I know you know, how do I monetize it? That's usually the question that comes first. And I'm like, if you're already asking how to monetize this thing, this isn't going to work. Like you have to want to be a blog. You have to want to produce the content. You have to want to do it for free. You have to be that interested in what you're writing about that you would do it without any money because the first six months to a year, you're probably not going to make any money. You're going to be writing into the void and shouting to, to the seven people, like I said, that, that'll, you know, read what you're doing and just kind of trust that with the consistency that, you know, build it and they will come, but they're not going to come all at once right away. So I think that, yeah. that that was kind of the, fortunately, it was something that I was so interested in and so passionate about. And again, like the instinct was just there. I just kind of had this feeling that it was what I was supposed to be doing. And because it felt so right I never really questioned, like, could this make money? Could this actually be something? It was almost like all along I had this sense of knowing that, like, it could be. Right. Now, why why do you think it is that people's first instinct is to attempt to learn how to monetize? Like, coming from a financial blogger's perspective, right? Finances are an extremely important piece of the process. Um, but... Why do you think that that, because I, I see that same thing too. People will come to me all the time. They'll talk about podcasts or they'll talk about launching a brand. I had some guy the other day that was like, hey, how do I stop? A, how do I start a drop shipping clothing brand on the side for some extra money? I'm like, dude, you ain't starting no drop shipping anything on the side and making any type of return. So like you can just get that idea out. But but why is that? Why do you think that is? Is it is it, you know, thanks to top 10 things you should be doing in 2022 articles yeah. on Google or like talk, talk to me about that side of the, the honestly, point. I think it's just, it's just productivity porn. It's like hustle culture. It's like if everything that you're doing is not easily and quickly and efficiently monetized, it's not worth doing. And like, to some extent I get, I get the sentiment there and I understand the desire to want to monetize a hobby completely. And I think that there's so much goodness there, but I think the reason that I say 
you don't want that to be the first thing you're worried about is because the the only thing that's going to give a, a content creator a snowball's chance in hell at actually building an audience is being singularly obsessed with providing value. Like, mm-hmm. and to be so obsessed with the content that you're writing or creating, you know, whatever medium you choose, maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's audio, video, whatever. I chose mm-hmm. writing because that just was where I felt most comfortable. But like, whatever it is, you have to be so obsessed with the subject matter and the process and like, you have to be so singularly focused on creating value that it's really the only thing that matters to you in the beginning. And that's where the audience will start to come from, right? Like that's what people are drawn to, I think is like authentic interest um, and and trust. And I think if you worry too much in the beginning about monetizing something, you're going to take the shortcuts that ultimately my theory is will stunt your growth. Like you'll, you'll accept maybe sponsors that you aren't actually aligned with, um, you know, just to get that payoff early when in reality, it's like, you're probably better off building a decent sized audience before you start pitching anybody. That way you can actually Mm -hmm. work with the people Mm -hmm. you want to work with and be taken seriously. But I don't know. I think, I think it's just kind of that obsession. And I don't know if it's like a United States thing or what, but the obsession with like every minute of your day and everything that you're doing better net some productive or valuable output in some way that can be right. translated to like a financial payoff for you. And I think that you almost have to treat it like a hobby at first. Right. Right. Yeah. I've got, I've got, there's a couple of different layers that I want to dissect from that. Um, the first one being that I do agree. Um, you coming from, a, a very ethnic family and like my mom being an immigrant. Um, I think it's, it's fascinating how much rest is ingrained in European culture, whereas it's not, it's very foreign to the U S you know, like um, <clears throat> our, my friends that are Jewish celebrating Shabbat, you know, and really focusing on that day and completely disconnecting themselves and being very, very, focused on like, I'm not working today. Do not ask me to work. I'm not going to be on my phone. Like I'm not working today. And what that actually does for your productivity in the long run, you know, um, the, the, that ability to step away and get perspective and stuff. And, and that's its whole rabbit hole. Now I, I, I really love that you compared obsession and hustle. And I just looked up the definitions of eat both of those words here. Um, and I'm going to read them out loud and I want you to kind of you know, um, I want to hear your thoughts because I think that there's a fundamental difference between the two. You know, I've had people call me obsessed and then try to make it sound like it's a bad thing. And that, I'll just I'll just read these definitions. OK, so the definition of the word obsessed, right, is a constant preoccupation of an idea that enters a person's mind. Right. And the definition of hustle is to force or move in a hurrying manner unceremoniously in a specific direction. Okay. Okay. You know what I think the difference is? Hustle. Lay it on me. Hustle is pushing. You are just brute force pushing your way through things. And it's, it's with that, you know, output in mind. Obsession is the pull. It's like compulsive. You can't, you can't stop. And so hustle, I mean, I I think it's just a push and a pull. 
are you pushing the boulder up the hill or is somebody pulling you up the hill? And right. I think I, if, if anyone listening to this is like, I have no idea the difference between those two things or how that would feel different, then I would say you haven't felt pulled yet. And that doesn't mean that you won't or, or that there's nothing that can make you feel that way. It's just kind of right. there's an innate curiosity that kind of has to come along that right. helps you identify the thing that's going to make you feel that way. And for me, Money with Katie is the only thing that's ever made me feel that way in a sustained manner. I've be, right. I've, I have an obsessive personality. And so I will get really into things and just, you know, I'll get really down that rabbit hole for a couple months, maybe like fitness is like that for me too. It has been in the past when I wanted to become a fitness instructor. I was very obsessive about fitness, but this is the only one that I think for me, at least it's like that, that amazing synergy of like, you feel pulled to it, but you also feel like you're not having to effort through it as much. Right. It's like, it kind of comes naturally to you. And I think that's the sweet spot and it can take a long time to find what that is. I actually, you're reading my mind at this point. So I actually have a principle that I work with when I work with coaching clients, right? I say, you have to push to find your pull. I love that. I love that. That's so true. It is. It is. And so what I ended up finding is that we reach these different pathways in life, right? And I say, um, if if anybody's uh, listening, what I'm about to explain is called The Hero's Journey or The Hero's Archetypal Story by Joseph Campbell. So you can look up Joseph Campbell on YouTube. And if you want to hear more about this, you'll understand. But Joseph Campbell was this guy that basically looked at stories across human lifespan, right? And this is why I'm obsessed with telling people stories and obsessed with storytelling. Um. Because I believe if you can position yourself and understand where you're at in your storyline, it makes it a lot easier to figure out what your next objective needs to be, right? So the basic hero's archetype is the hero gets this call to adventure, right? And I say that's the intuitive impulse, you know? You're sitting there and the hero now gets this call to adventure, but it requires a hero to leave their home and venture out into the wilderness, Right? And so if we think of like Hercules, right? Hercules realizes he's adopted, that he doesn't fit in with the human world, that he's actually a demigod and he's going to go try to find Zeus at the temple, right? And so he leaves his home and he is forced to go out into the wilderness without actually knowing what's going on. So then you enter into this chaotic realm and what do you find along the way? You find helpers, you find an oracle or a sage, somebody that gives you advice. You know, you find all of these things, but eventually you venture down and who does he meet? Hades, right? And this is where that you have to push. You have to be able to push through these anxieties, right? And that's why I say you have to push to find your pull because until you come back out of the chaos and you have this new realization, you understand something different about reality, whether that's I'm capable of something I didn't know I was capable of. I found more information that I didn't know I needed to know or I met this mentor who was willing to push me to the next level. Now you've had those realizations. You can integrate them into your life. You've come out of chaos and you're back to the starting point, right? And life is just this series of feeling a call, being willing to enter the unknown, finding help along the way, solving a problem, integrating it into your personality, and then repeating the process. And if you can tell where you're at, Sometimes it feels like you get caught in this bottom world. I just can't make it out of chaos. 
and the, 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 the majority of the time, and I'm curious if you can think of one that's happened in your life, the majority of the time, the reason why people can't make it out of chaos is because there's a Hydra or a Leviathan that's in their life that they're not willing to face. There's a part of them that they haven't been willing to give up on. There's a person that's telling them that they can't do it, that they're taking their opinion too seriously. Mm. There's something that's critical that is meant to teach that person something that they're not facing. And then when they face it, it's almost like everything starts to fall into place. So that's really interesting because initially my interpretation of the push and pull, you know, you have to push to find your pull. My initial interpretation of that was when I think back on the years between 2017 and 2020, that mm. like three and a half year period for me, I felt like I was hustling for every bit of success or recognition or every dollar I was making. And it mm. felt very effortful, but it was, mm. it, I kind of look back on that now as, and I'm trying to relate this back to hero's journey to think about what this could potentially be akin to, but basically that like, all of those things needed to happen to give me the experience necessary to like drop me in the spot to be ready to like- Where you were willing to accept the Yeah, call. to give birth to money with Kitty and to have the perspectives and to have the, the know-how like, okay, well, I have worked these jobs. I have negotiated for raises. I have had three side hustles at a time and worked for 90 hours a week. Like everything that I'm talking about. Of course these, you have. <laughs> and these experiences are real. And so it's so interesting though, in retrospect, because now I'm making exponentially more money than I've ever made. And it feels like it comes easier than it ever has. Cause it's like, I'm in the, I'm in the right spot for me. Like my, mm -hmm. it's almost like mm -hmm. leverage, like the amount of effort that I'm giving is magnified by the fact that I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing finally. Right. But right. your kind of comment about the, the Leviathan or the Hydra in your life, that's kind of um, keeping you stuck in that chaos. I have, I've both witnessed friends where like objectively from the outside looking in, I can be like, man, they just, it seems like they can't shake whatever, you know, they're kind of in that cycle or, and personally, I think when I reflect on myself, I think it's it's a it's it comes down to identity for me. Some of the mm. hardest chapters I've had to close and fully walk away from in order to like recognize the potential that I knew I should be, it all came down to like how I thought of myself and the identity mm. that I had assumed as like an employee of this particular company or the type of person who has an impressive job or works in a traditional job or you know, like these ideas that I had about what I wanted my life to be. And then like, once I had those things being like, okay, well, I, I actually don't think this is what I want, but I'm so attached to this identity and this person that I thought I was, that it is almost like a shedding of identity. That's scary to fully lean into this thing that kind of came out of left field, but feels a lot more aligned to what I think I'm supposed to be doing and what feels like right for me. Right. It's, it's, it's almost one of those things where like, it's so hard to describe that feeling of rightness. I've, I've been trying to figure out how to articulate that to people because when I'm going through coaching and, and we're having conversations and stuff, they're like, well, I just, I don't know if I'm feeling it. I know, I don't know if I'm there yet. And one of the, one of the things that, I've tried to nail down 
is like, well, that feeling of rightness is like when you get to a point where you're willing to take a risk and trust yourself to fill in the gaps. Like there's been times where I've sold jobs and I have no idea what freelancer I'm going to pull to pull that job together. But I know that because of my network and I'm going to bank on myself to be intuitive and to know where to look and who to find and how to piece that together. And, you know, I never put clients at risk by any means. Like I'm not going to outsell myself, but there has been times where I've just bet on myself where it's like, okay, I haven't really encountered this before. And I don't like saying fake it till you make it. I just like saying like you're willing to bet on yourself, you know, and, and that is where that feeling of rightness comes in for me, at least is when I realized that I was willing to, put something out into the universe and then trust myself to build it. It's like I had built that trust within myself to myself because I followed through on the promises I was making to myself. Mm, yeah. I think that's a huge component. Like, Oh man, I can't remember the exact quote, but something that really changed my perspective um, a few years ago about confidence was that like you learn about yourself the same way you learn about other people by watching them and by perceiving their behavior and then drawing mm -hmm. judgments about that behavior. So if you are the type of person who keeps the promises you're making to yourself over time, that compounds and it builds the confidence that, oh, well, I'm a hard worker or I'm disciplined. It's like those, those notions and self-perceptions don't come from nowhere. It's like, and right. so that's where fake it till you make it can be almost kind of a good thing when taken in doses is like, Okay, well, if I'm just going to use a stupid example, like if I want to think about myself like a healthy person, I have to start doing healthy things. And then when I right. you know, observe myself doing the healthy things, I'll start to think of myself as healthy and it'll be a you know self-reinforcing, self-fulfilling prophecy type situation. And the opposite is true. If you consistently tell yourself that you're a piece of shit and so all you do is like lay around on the couch all day and you know don't apply yourself, well, that's also going to reinforce that notion. So- um, right. I definitely think that 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 kind of you know promise you keep to yourself thing is is super powerful and and it's become more important to me now that money with Katie is turning into something that almost makes me feel a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like the more mm -hmm. success that mm -hmm. it's found, it's almost like wait a second, am I good enough to be doing this? Am I good enough to have this success or do it full time? Like. Am, am I worthy of this basically? And those are questions that I, I never, ever asked myself that before, because it was just kind of this thing I was doing on the side for fun. But then once it grows, it's like, oh my God, wait, like other people, other people are into this too. Oh my gosh. It's like, you like realize you're naked in the dream where you're like, wait, everyone's looking at me. Am I actually good <laughs> enough to be doing this? Yeah. So I yeah, think yeah. That that's been really crucial recently is like, okay, well, if you are thinking you're not good enough to do the thing that you've always been felt good enough to do, like you have to keep doing it and keep making strides at getting better. And then right. that'll prove to you that, yeah, you are good enough. And like, oh, by the way, no one else knows what the hell they're doing anyway. So I, I always come back to that. I'm like, everyone's pretending, even the most confident people, you know, like everyone to some extent is, is figuring it out as they go. Cause there's really no other way to go about it, especially yeah. if you're doing something that you feel like no one else has really done before. There's no playbook. There's no one that you can right. be like, oh, I'm going to follow in their footsteps. It's like, if you're trying to do something unique, it is up to you to kind of put, lay the train track down as the train is rolling forward. Right. Right. That's why, that's why I love, um, 
you know, the way that I set up like my writing consulting and stuff is like when, when somebody puts me on retainer to help them articulate themselves or, you know, we're working on their brand month to month. I, I don't call it like it's, I'm not an expert. I'm not a, you know, guru. I'm not any of these other bullshit words that people use to describe expertise or false confidence. You know, I'm not posing in front of a rented Lamborghini on Instagram. I'm like, I, I tell them, I'm like, I'm a practitioner, right? Like I engage in this because I do it on a daily basis. I love that description. You know, I love and like that. my goal is to help you become a more versatile practitioner. You know, I want to take the bad to good and I want to take the good to great. And I want to take the great to fantastic, right? Like I believe that we have something to offer everybody at each of those levels. And, and another thing that both of us have been a part of, you know, that, that offers, I think a little bit of something to everybody at every level, regardless of where you're at in your journey is, is this journey that we both went through, through Indie Collective. Um, and, and so obviously, you know, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you know, who Sam Lee is and, and, and what his role has been in, in, um, kind of bringing me and Katie together as far as founding this indie collective cohort. But, you know, if you're listening and, and you're a first time listener, because you follow, um, Katie, basically what it is, is a 10 week boot camp course, um, that is able to walk you through everything from setting a bigger vision to establishing pricing, to understanding your value, to figuring out a marketing plan. I mean, the whole nine yards is basically a fire hose of information over 10 weeks with amazing support systems and small groups that you're able to form relationships with and, and everything else like that. But I'm, I'm curious, like what the way that our conversation is laid out, it almost mimics the way that the Indie Collective cohort set up, right? Like you start out by setting your vision, you know, and there, there's a reason why you have to do that first, you know, and then there's all these other pieces. But if, if you had to kind of reflect on, on what your journey through Indie Collective has been like at, at such a kind of a critical point in your career where, where you're making this transition and you're really trying to come into yourself as money with Katie and, and like you mentioned, really trying to figure out who, who that identity is, you know, who is money with Katie, not Katie that works at Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So there were, I would say the, the overarching theme or like the through line right? For my indie collective experience was a lot of clarity. And mm. the reason I say that is because I always kind of had this hunch that I had never fully explored or even really bothered to put words to. But it was that there is a unique subset of my audience and I think all personal finance audiences that is high earners, successful people that have done well for themselves that are making good money that really have no idea what they're doing. And I had a preconceived notion that if somebody is making six figures and is very successful and competent, clearly they're going to know how to handle their finances. Obviously that's just a given. That was my, I think, fallacy there. I, I've thought that that was true. And Indie Collective mm -hmm. really challenged me during the um, ideal client profile exercise to think about who is my content for? Who do I really get excited about helping and what types of strategies am I excited mm -hmm. about and th things like that. And so I kind of identified through answering those questions and doing the workshop and going through the, the steps of, oh, okay, I actually think maybe I do want to speak to so uh, high earners or people that have full-time jobs and side businesses and have different sources of income and are, you know, doing really well, but are also probably really busy. And mm -hmm. one of the, the 
pieces of homework for that exercise was find somebody that you think is your ideal client that you would identify as like this person epitomizes that and interview them, talk to them. And so I really didn't have very high hopes for the outcome of that interview. I thought she was just going to corroborate everything that I already believed to be true about people like her and could not have been further from the truth. She basically was like, oh, no, no, no. It doesn't matter that I've been making $300,000 a year since I was 23. I have no idea what I'm doing. And like, I want my money to work harder for me. So it really blew the lid off of this preconceived notion that I had about a pretty sizable subset of my audience and and people that I wanted to keep reaching. Um, And then from there, inspired me to create something specifically for them. So I, I started, you know, creating it, not really knowing eventually like what the formatting was going to be like or um, how much I was going to charge for it. But fortunately, a few weeks later, we did the, the you know, value-based pricing workshop and it kind of hit me over the head with the fact that I was about to way undercharge for this. And so again, go through the steps, answer the questions, think about the prompts, go through the workshop. And I walked away being like, okay, I think I, I think I'm like way undercharging. I think I need to totally revisit how I'm thinking about this product. And so it's it's kind of that that 360 of like not only would the product not exist without Indie Collective, the pricing would have been wrong. Um the the client itself or like the ideal customer that it was trying to reach uh, would have never been identified. So it was kind of like at every step in the process, it Indie Collective had kind of pulled me through that. Um, so that's like the kind of the big crazy example. But as a, as a side note to that, Indie made me realize that I really needed to get my automations in place with my marketing. My sales Mm -hmm. funnels were non-existent. Um, It was all manual and I was doing it on the side. So like, I really did not have the time to be manually selling anything to anybody or, you know, using these kind of like amateur hour tactics of just like posting on Instagram. And so it showed me what I needed, but then beyond that, I was like, okay, I think I need to like really up my email marketing game, but I have no idea what that means or how to go about doing it or how to, how to really execute on this at all. I was very lost. And I was in an A-team meeting one Monday night expressing this and kind of asking for help. A-team is like your, your group that you, you kind of go through the cohort with and, and you can use bounce ideas off of them and whatnot. And, um, Somebody was like, well, why don't you just outsource it? Like, just hire somebody to do that for you. You don't Mm -hmm. have to be the email marketing expert. And it was like so simple, but it was, it had never crossed my mind to outsource it. Yeah. Just Mm. ask your audience, like ask if there's anyone in your audience. And I ended up finding the most amazing person who set up everything for me and not only set up everything, but basically like blew the lid off of a lot of the ways that I was like going about packaging my products And she really improved things like from the ground up and got a way more sustainable uh, process in place. And that's another thing that would have never happened had I not gone through this experience and been exposed to other people that could objectively, you know, business minded people who could look at my business and be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't really have that before this. So that was another huge, I mean... When I say it like doubled my revenue for the year, I'm not, that's not hyperbolic. I mean, like in two months, it, it just skyrocketed. Yeah, no, that's what I experienced. I mean, when I, when I went through Indie Collective, I think we, we 4X'd 
as a company in 90 days ish after the cohort ended because um you know i realized that i wasn't outsourcing enough to my team and taking care of them you know there's a whole bunch of things that, that happened because of indie collective that i just am absolutely grateful for and i you know um reflect pretty much everything that you just said the the ability to what i found out of it is the ability to not only intake that information but actively i think humans learn by having conversations and actively having a safe place to be vulnerable about your business with other people that are inside of a similar space but non-competitive is super critical to being able to work out what's going on in your head you know mm -hmm. there's that's that's why um some of my writing clients are writers themselves just trying to get through a creative block mm, you know yeah. they'll come in and we work together for you know four to six weeks and after those four to six weeks because they interact with another writer mm -hmm. who approaches things differently who sees things from a new perspective we end up learning a ton from each other and they make it past their creative block yeah you know but i would have never thought about approaching writers for a writing course because my imposter syndrome was so high that i'm like who am i to teach writers absolutely well and i kind of had the same hang up going into indie collective of like this is for independent consultants. I'm like, I'm a blogger. Am I really going to get anything out of this? But I think going into it with the mindset of like, there's always something to learn and I need more structure in what I'm doing. I was so intuition led that, I mean, even I love that I had one conversation with somebody throughout the process and obviously you get out what you put in. So you need to show up. It's not magic. No one's going to hand it to you, but it, it puts the framework in place that you need. So I had a um, conversation with somebody early on where she was like, so what's your goal? And I was like, I want to make $50,000 a month. And she was like, why? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, it just seemed like a nice round number to shoot for. So, and she was like, well, you know, what's your life like now? Like, how would that really change your life? And, and anyway, throughout the period of the conversation and just just having somebody there to ask me those hard questions and challenge me instead of just being like, that sounds great. You can do it. It's like, well, why do you want to do that? It kind of, we got back to the point of like, or the goal could be make the same amount of money, but have everything so automated and streamlined that it takes half the time. And I was like, oh, now that actually sounds like something that's exciting to me. Like get the time back. And it clarified the goal. It's like, let's, let's automate and let's, let's make let's work smarter not harder basically right you know what she helped you find in that conversation what your pull yeah yes exactly like a like a nice kpi that i could like work toward a metric yeah. i love metrics <laughs> so okay so if everybody we're at the top of the hour here so i want to you know i appreciate your time coming on um i absolutely adore uh the conversation the way that your mind works mostly because it's how my mind works um so. likewise <laughs> Um, but if people, if people wanted to learn more about their personal finances, if they are six figure earners and they want to try to learn more about what you're doing or how you can help them and maybe even just consume some of your content and share it with a friend, where can, where can people go to find money with Katie? Absolutely. So moneywithkatie.com is the site. There is plenty of free content there. Even if you are just starting out, um, there are little, you know, one-on-one series that you can sign up for that are totally free. That'll drip it to you over time in a way that's digestible and understandable and fun and easy. Um, so we got those on the site. We got plenty of blog 
uh, posts there as well. And then if you search the Money with Katie show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, <laughs> you will see, bless you, uh, me, you'll see you. the podcast. And that's currently kind of getting revamped. So stay tuned for that. And then Money with Katie on Instagram and Twitter. One word, Money with Katie. But that's pretty much if If there is a social platform that I am on, if you search that, that's what it would be under. Heck yeah. Well, cool. All right, Katie. Well, I appreciate you. I will talk to you soon. And everybody that's listening, this has been another episode of The Modern Independent. Um, and this segment is The Launchpad with your host, Jan Almasy. And you can find me on Instagram at Jan underscore the apex underscore Almasy or at my website at chasetheapex.com. Thanks, Jan.